What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking one of the most comfortable and the best built Fireline pack out there, well, you're doing it wrong. And guess who makes it? None other than Mystery Ranch. But in addition to all of the Fireline essentials that they do make, they make a ton of other load-bearing essentials. And they have solutions for just about everything. Need to put your civvies uh, in a little backpack and throw it under the buggy for the season while well, they make a solution for you. Yeah, I need to go peel a trophy elk off the side of a mountain. Well, they make a solution for you. Hell, they even make briefcases, which are pretty badass. I got one myself. Oh, speaking of briefcases and backpacks, they have launched the Backbone series and it's actually being the Backbone scholarship part of that Backbone series is being paid for by a portion of the proceeds in sales for a couple of backpacks and briefcases. So if you want to help uh, fund that endeavor to help some fire personnel out of there, some people in fire get some more education under their belts, well, go over there and pick one up because a portion of those proceeds helps fund that scholarship series. And if you don't know about the Backbone series, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. And if you're interested in, interested in the opportunity to win one of these Backbone scholarships, well, now's your opportunity. Like I said earlier, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. And if you submit your story and you are selected, for the Backbone series? Well, you have a chance to win one of these $1,000 grants to go back to school. Pretty freaking awesome if you ask me. And once again, I'm going to say it like a fifth time. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by Manscaped. Oh yeah, your balls will thank you. And if you guys don't know what Manscaped is all about, well, they are the premier supplier of below-the-belt grooming essentials. Hell, they even make uh, a lot of other stuff. Not just the you know ball trimmer, the lawnmower 3.0 uh, ball trimmer, which has got the sweet-ass built-in light. It's also waterproof, and it's got the skin-safe technology to reduce the chance of manscaping mishaps, but they make a ton of other stuff as well. They make the Weed Whacker, which is a badass nose hair trimmer. They also make the shears, which are some awesome fingernail grooming kits. Yeah, and they make the ball toner, the crop preserver, the crop reviver, and they even have a full body wash that smells freaking amazing. But check this out. Listeners to this podcast can get 20% off plus free shipping site-wide over at www.manscaped.com by entering the code AnchorPoint. And that's all one word. So AnchorPoint at checkout. Yeah, that's a hell of a deal. So do your balls a favor and uh, clean the bushes around the trees. And at the same time, you can uh, reduce the chances of those manscaping mishaps. So once again, go over to www.manscaped.com and enter the code anchor point, all one word at checkout for 20% off and free shipping site wide. Go check them out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But in addition to kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff, like a full line of Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel. They make stickers. They Hell, they even make baby clothes, kick-ass coffee cups, 
all of it. And they also make all the tools of your of the trade to get your morning started off right. So if you guys want to uh, pick up some stuff from Hotshot Brewery, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. Oh, yeah. Hotshot Brewery also supports the Anchor Point podcast by slinging our merch. So if you want to uh, get your hands on an Anchor Point podcast tee or one of those Fire Fiend tees, kind of like a Misfits themed one, it's pretty rad if uh, you're into the whole punk rock thing like myself, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check it out. The Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at The Ass Movement. I don't know about you guys, but I think The Ass Movement is doing some great stuff and it stands for the anti-surface shitting movement. I don't know if you've been uh, hiking along on the trail or the fire line or going to your favorite fly fishing spot and seen a uh, pile of human feces gift wrapped in toilet paper. Well, that shit needs to stop and The Ass Movement is there to remind you so. So if you want to take part in the poo burying propaganda go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement oh yeah and check this out if you want to pick up some uh, turd trowels or some sweet ass stickers or some patches from the ass movement listeners to this podcast get a little bit of a discount so go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and at checkout enter the code anchor point ass 10 all one word at check out for 10% off your entire order. Anyways, thanks for doing what you're doing and keep spreading the word about burying your turds. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. And if you don't know what they are all about, I highly suggest you go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Basically what it is, is a digital catalog, a digital archive of sorts of uh, wildland firefighting stories now from across the globe, dating all the way back to the 1940s. There's a collection of over a hundred of them right now, and it's pretty awesome. So if you want a little history lesson or a trip down memory lane with some of the peers in our field, definitely go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization going on over there, and I deeply appreciate what you're doing. Oh yeah, before I forget, I'd like to mention that they have the Smoky Generation grants out there that are available to any writer, photographer, cinematographer, blogger, anybody who's telling the story of Wildland Fire here in, well, now across the world. So if you want an opportunity to win one of these grants, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org or the Smoky Generation. Just do a quick little Google search and you'll find it. It'll be the first thing that pops up, but you'll have an opportunity to win one of these limited $500 grants. Once again, Bethany, thank you for what you're doing. of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency.
What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Hope everybody's doing well, and I hope everybody's getting ready for the upcoming season. Well, apparently it's year-round in some areas. Looking at you, SoCal. Calm down, for F's sakes. But anyways, I hope everybody's doing well, and today on the show, we're going to dive into international affairs, particularly uh, south of the border here in the United States, down in Mexico, down in uh, Baja, Mexico, which is pretty damn cool. So we're going to get a little bit of insight about how business is done there, some of the uh, the challenges that they faced as a firefighting organization down there, and... We actually have two guests on the show today. We're going to talk about uh, some folks that go down there yearly and do some uh, training, some cross training as far as tactics, strategies, chainsaws and donating equipment. It's pretty badass. And uh, I love what these guys do. And these guys kind of came together during a climbing uh, endeavor, I guess you could say. You'll find out about it on the episode. But they kind of came together and created the unofficial crew, official crew of the San Pedro Martir Hotshots. It is pretty badass, and uh, you'll find out more about that on the show. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce my two good friends, Felipe and Chris. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got Chris Ives and Felipe. Felipe, I didn't get your last name, man. What was your last name? Leon. Leon? Nice to uh, meet you, man. And you're all the way from Ensenada, Mexico? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Ensenada, Mexico, Baja California state. Nice, man. And Chris, where are you at, man? I'm in Durango, Colorado. Nice, man. So Chris, let's start off with you, man. Let's, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. What are you, uh, what are you uh, doing, man? So you got a sling okay. on your shoulder. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Chris Ives. Uh, I'm a squad leader on, on the San Juan interagency hotshot crew, um, here in Durango on the San Juan national forest. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's my day job and, um, been doing a bunch of work the last few years down in Mexico. And, uh, that is the reason I'm wearing a sling right now, actually. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I didn't tell Felipe until recently, but, um, after the work we did down there this last fall, um, I was climbing, uh, Picacho del Diablo, which is the highest point in in Baja California. And it's a pretty gnarly climb, but anyway, me and, and one of the other guys on the, on the crew who was helping out with the, um, with the course, him and I climbed it with my dog Tula. And it turns out that it's, uh, not so easy to get a dog up a, uh, pretty remote technical climb. And, um, yeah, at one point she kind of slipped on a rock and I like reached out to grab her and, and I slipped a little bit and anyway, felt the <laughs> pop and here I am in, you know, a week post surgery and, uh, but you know, wouldn't change it for the world. And, uh, next year. I'm going to get to the top of, uh, of Picacho and maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll convince Felipe to join me. Oh, I don't think so, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> so nice, man. How long you been in fire? Uh, this, this is ele- 11 seasons. This will, this will be 11, I guess. Nice. 
Right on, man. How'd you get into it? Like, uh, did you did you have the pretty atypical story of like, oh yeah, someone told me about this, and then I got into it, and now like, the fire bug got me, and now I'm I'm pretty much doing this for a living now. Yeah, I guess you know, just just wandering into an indentured servitude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I I uh, I grew back grew up um, back east. You know, I feel like I run into so many people in fire or just out here in the West who, you know, are typical like products of East coast suburb. Um, but yeah, that's me, uh, grew up in New Jersey and, you know, I went to small liberal arts college once again, classic storyline. Um, you know, I went to school to be a history teacher and, uh, there's, you know, big sports school. Um, I don't know. I always just felt like a little out of place party scene wasn't my deal. And I was just like, man, I must be just a weird person, you know, like I I don't fit the mold. And, um, and then, you know, growing up, I'd been in boy Scouts. Um, and there's this big ranch, um, out in New Mexico that's owned by the boy Scouts, um, called Philmont. I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about it out there, but anyway, I was like, ah, maybe, you know, I'll just work a summer at Philmont, um, before I, before I settle down and become a history teacher and a lacrosse coach. And so spent a season at, at Philmont, um, building hiking trails and, um, and yeah, never, never looked back after that, you know, and spent a few years at Philmont and then worked for conservation corps and, um, ended up living in Flagstaff, Arizona. Awesome town. Yeah. And, uh, Flagstaff, that place is badass. Yeah, totally. Yeah, man. I, I lived there for almost 10 years and, um, who knows, I, I might be back there in the future, but, um, but yeah, I worked for conservation corps. And then during the 2010 Schultz fire, um, that was my last year with conservation corps, but, uh, me and some friends like hiked up Mount Eldon in the middle of the night and just sat there and watched the Schultz fire back down, um, the peaks, the San Francisco peaks. And, uh, just, man, I just, from that moment, I fell in love with fire. And then, uh, next year started out, uh, 2011 fire season with black Mesa hotshots. Um, and yeah, I've been on hotshot crews and in fuels, um, you know, did some, went to grad school at NAU in, in forestry, um, for a couple of years during that period and nerded out on fire moss. Um, <laughs> Dork. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and here I am. So nice, man. And now are we had a special guest on the show. We got Felipe. Felipe, tell us about yourself, man. We don't hear much about the fire program in Mexico. So this is kind of a rare treat. I'm stoked to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm a ranger here, so a park ranger in the San Pedro Martir National Park. It's a natural protected area there. <clears throat> and when I'm, I come from a little town to the south of the state in a little island. It's called Cedros Island. So I born and raised there. And then uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, I come to Ensenada to study uh, biology. Because I love the nature, you now I grow up in the nature, in the in the sea, and 
I love to to see the animals there and anything about the the animal behavior. And I love that to work with the animals. And <clears throat> and I watch a lot of the National Geographic and Discovery Channel, you know. And I want to study to to see how to study animals and anything like that. And I come from I I, I come to Ensenada to to go to the university here. And I studied biology. And when I graduated from the university, I started working with the Condor project in San Pedro Martir. Uh, we have the this uh, reintroduction project working with the government from Mexico and US uh, with the San Diego Zoo. So they they have the, this program to they capture the all the the condors in, in the wild in the US and they put it in the in the zoo to make uh, you know to to. Uh, put it in the nature again, you know, and they bring the project to Mexico because really, really, it's a really, really wild national park. It's really preserved there. And in the 2002, they they put in the nature in Sapporo Martyr all the condors, and I started working with the guys in the condor project in 2006. And I can and I worked like one year there, and then. I'm going through a lot of works like a biologist in some parts in Nuevo León, Mexico, and here in Baja California, with the University of Baja California also. And then when I, I went to Nuevo León in 2009, I worked two, two years there. And then in 2012, I, I come back to Baja California again. And I started working with the Condor Project again, like only one, like six months, I think so. And then I hear about a, a spot there with the park rangers. And then I, I changed my work with the rangers. And I have like almost nine years working like a park ranger. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm working, I, I learned how to be a firefighter with the rangers. And then we, we have some programs of training here in Mexico. We're working with the CONAFOR, is Comisión Nacional Forestal, is uh, like the U.S. Forest Service here in Mexico. Okay. So we work together, and and they train us uh, to fire fire, and and then we we start to do that job, and we have a lot of jobs like a ranger. No? We have to clean the camping areas. We have to to clean the cabins there. We have to to rescue some people if they get lost in the forest, you know. And also we have to uh, do the firefighting. And and I, we have like, the, this program with this uh, administration has from 2010, and I started in 2012 with them. And I'm staying here and still working here. Nice. So you made it all the way from a condor reintroduction program and breeding them in, cap- in captivity. And uh, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a big deal because they were endangered for a long time. The California condor, yeah, that's pretty yeah, they, amazing. They, they captured in in the eighties, I think, so in California, and they put it in captivity in in, in the San Diego Zoo. They, they do their production there, and they put it in the wild. And it's a really successful uh, project here in Mexico. We have like uh, we start with two couples only. And they bring in like I think like three condors from from San Diego, 
and we have like, right now like 40 something. Oh, wow. We have almost 15 condors uh, born in the wild here in the Sierra. That's awesome, man. Well, that's a, that pales in comparison to what you're doing now as far as uh, going from a condor reintroduction program to firefighting. And it sounds like uh, the program you have down there is more like all risk, like you guys do a little bit of everything. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, we have to do it because we are only like three rangers by turn. And we have the fire season. We have like four more uh, rangers. You know, it's like a seasonal... Uh, contracts only for the summer okay and, and and we are like seven seven people only by by crew we have two two teams of ranger and they swift the turns you know nice so it's, it's real similar to the way they do it here in the united states with the u.s forest service uh the seasonal uh worker workforce yeah i think so yeah Huh. That's, that's interesting, man. I, that's, I didn't know you guys did all risk though. That's you guys do search and rescue. You guys do pretty much everything. Like, I guess I, uh, like a, uh, yeah, cleaning, cleaning the bathrooms in the camping <laughs> zone. <laughs> Probably not the best thing about the job. <laughs> no, but we have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh I, man. I think it's, it's cool though. Like, you know, just when I met Felipe and learned about what they do as Rangers down there, it, it's like, essentially what a forest ranger in the U S was like circa 1920, you know, like they're just out there. They're like a Jack of all trades, you know, um, oh, doing, doing every job. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I wish it was still like that. Um, but now we have, you know, every PD under the sun, every position description under the sun that, you know, for everything from, you know, park tech to range tech to forestry tech and all this in between. So I kind of wish it was like back in the, the good old days, I guess you could say kind of like the way Dude, Mexico's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you guys uh, link up? Like, tell us a story about that. Like this is a pretty unique opportunity that you guys share. And now you guys do a lot of cross training as well. You, you go down there during the winters on your off season, you help train them with like saws and fire tactics and all this other stuff. So let's, let's dive into that. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I, maybe I can start and then Felipe, you can, you can sort, you can, uh, contest the details and my, my fuzzy memory, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, a couple friends, also firefighters and I, um, we went down to, um, to San Pedro Martir in 2018, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, just being a bunch of clueless gringos stumbling into the park and not speaking any Spanish and, uh, deciding we were going to climb that same mountain that I mentioned earlier, uh, Picacho del Diablo. And, um, you know, I get to the park and I'm like, you know, any, anybody speak English <laughs> and, uh, and they're like, you know, they're like, looking around like, Oh, where's the one guy that speaks English. And then out walks Felipe and he's like, yeah, I will guide you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so we, we asked him some questions and, um, yeah, it's, it, I don't know. It's just interesting because in the U S I feel like in some ways, like everything's kind of handed to us in a way, like just, I don't know if this makes sense, but like with like, there's a street sign for everything, you know, or like there's instructions for everything. And so we kind of like, 
get used to like all of our roads being like paved and, you know, there being like clear direction on everything. And so I get down there and like, you know, I'm talking to Felipe and I'm like, yeah, is it easy to get to Picacho? And he's like, yeah, you just follow the trail and blah, blah. And then we get out there and it's like anything but easy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I'm used to like having like a trail map in front of me and like trail signs at every intersection and whatever else. And it was like a huge education and we ended up getting completely lost. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, but we had amazing time just exploring around and, um, so didn't make it up Picacho that time got turned around this time with, with, uh, the dog and, uh, but next year, next year I'll make it up Picacho. So, but anyway, so yeah, we came back after that first adventure in the park, just really inspired. And we got back and Felipe was there and asked us how our adventure goes went. And he's like, you know, and I'm like, man, we got completely lost. And, you know, I could just see him thinking like, man, another gringo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Felipe, did, when you, when this dude showed up and like started talking to you, he was like, were you thinking in the back of your head, like, oh man, this gringo's going to die out here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always think, and not, not only with the gringos, you know, we, every, everybody there. It's really hard. It's a really hard trailer. Yeah. Yep. Felipe, tell them about the, uh, the process, like when someone applies for a permit and they have to take pictures of your shoes and stuff. Yeah. They, they, they have to fill a form and they're going to put some emergency numbers there and, and how many days they're going to stay there. And, and then we we take a picture of the of the guy, the clouds and everything, and the footprints. You know, the boots. We take a picture for the boots, for see the footprint there. Oh, so you and can track can, them in case they get lost. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, we're trackers. If you you want to know, <laughs> uh, we have some rangers that are really really good with the, the tracking uh, to see the track. Nice man. That, that that's kind of uh, scary though. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I got to take pictures of my my emergency contacts. I got to have my boots taken pictures of my clothes. It's like there's a that kind of implies that there's a real risk of dying out there in the woods. Yeah, recognize the body, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you joke, but that's I. That's my that's my uh, thought is like that's why they do it is so that they can find your body out in the woods and they're like oh yeah those are the pictures of the boots that we have <laughs> that was the clothes <laughs> yeah totally oh, and that's man. you know like that's super technical climbing out there it's like for i don't know for folks in the u.s like if you've been to like joshua tree or the southern sierras like you know just those big granite boulders um where you can really get dead-ended super fast and it takes a lot of route finding and you really have to be on top of your stuff to um, you know, to, to not get dead ended into like a cliff wall. Um, so it's, yeah, it's no joke. If anyone listens to this podcast and then decides they're going to go down and just, you know, saunter up, um, Picacho, um, I would definitely say, you know, do your research and, and make sure you're prepared because it's, it's not easy. Yeah. It seems like there's some real world, con- real world consequences with uh, making the wrong decision there especially if they're taking pictures of your boots and your boot prints. 
<laughs> so what's so what what draws you to the um this question is for for Felipe. What draws you to uh the the park over there? And it's uh San Pedro Mar- Martir. Ah, San Pedro Martir is uh is a uh pine forest, a mixed pine forest. We have like uh, seven species of pines there. It's like the California Sierras is really some guys from the US say that it's like Yosemite National Park. It's okay. Just, it's a lot of boulders, uh, granite boulders, like we say. And we have a lot of endemic species there. And uh, it's really important for the for this region because uh, all the water the, uh, is like a sponge, you know, and all the water for the agricultures in the south of the state uh, uh, use the water from San Pedro Martir. And it's really important for the for all the 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 agriculture or agriculture of uh, tomatoes and uh, cranberries and all kind of berries here. We export a lot of fruits for the for the U.S. and and they declared the, the presidential uh, the, the president here in 1947. They say the Santa Martins have to be protected, and because they they make in the '46, they make like uh, two permissions to cut the trees there on some uh, aserraderos we call, and they they think about cutting and make, uh, use the wood for I don't know for for sell the woods, no and. And the president and, and the news for the president run really fast. And he declared the, they have to be a national park in 47. And they declared in the 21st of February. And the decret uh, publishes that uh, 26th of April, the same year. And it's still a national park since. And, and the, in the modern times, we start in 2010 with this administration. But I think all the like a figure of a ranger there start in the in the last of the seventies and the or the eighties, and and I know from some fathers of my partner there, uh, and another ranger, uh, he started working in the in the eighties there like a firefighter and kind of a ranger, but it's not there was not like 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 a a ranger figure like like in the U.S. is only some then I don't know a watch guy there in the in the woods in the in the eighties, no, and and in the modern times like in two thousand and six they start making the figure like a ranger there in National Park in, in San Pedro Martir, but but we have a big network in Mexico no, of the of the natural protected areas with the Comisión Nacional de Áreas Naturales Protegidas, is the CONAM. Uh, it's like the U, the National Park Service in the U.S. here okay. in Mexico. And we have a lot of uh, national parks and natural protected areas in in the sea, in the some islands, some forests, in the mountains. We have a lot of national protected areas here in Mexico. How many national and parks are there in Mexico? I mean, Mexico is a big, uh, it's a big country. I mean, obviously there's going to be a ton of them, but. Yeah. And I don't have the exact number, but we have uh, one of the biggest 
in the country, it has like 1 million hectares. Oh, wow. Here in Baja California, it's uh, uh, called uh, Reserva de la Biosfera del Vizcaíno. It's where it's in between Baja California Norte and Baja California Sur states here in the peninsula. And, and it's really important there because you have the desert and you have the sea where the gray whale come from Alaska to, to uh, have their, their children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say, sorry. It's I, like I'm a breeding really area. Yeah, breeding area. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really about my English. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Don't apologize, man. It's cool. Okay, and and there's there's some bighorn sheep also in the in that uh, protect area, and and we have a lot of protect uh, Iceland there, including my my hometown, Isla de Cedros, and and Isla Guadalupe is another uh, remote island here in the peninsula, and is is we have a lot of a little forest there. It's, it's really important to protect there. And we have rangers in each each one area, areas here in the peninsula. Nice. So what's it like doing forestry or like I guess I guess forestry management? I mean, you guys gotta do it all. So you guys have to do the clear cut not clear cutting, but like fuels reduction, you have to do this the search and rescue, you have to do everything, even the firefighting duties. So what's it really like working for the federal land management down in Mexico? Right now, uh it's a, a little hard because uh we don't have that that support from the government, you know. Uh we we're working with the with a lot of ONGs. Uh and they help us to 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 do some support from fundings and and because uh, the government, if you work with the government here in Mexico, you don't you cannot uh, have some funding because there are some laws that you know maybe it's, it's some people gonna think is corruption, you know, and we have these laws, so we we get some a lot of help with the ONGs. Uh, NGOs, no, it's in English. <laughs> it's all right. And yeah, I think in Spanish and English, you know, and NGOs, and and we have these uh, NGOs. They help a lot to the national park. It's Terra, Terra Peninsular, and they work with uh, with us with the national park of Pedro Martir, and they they work with uh, some uh, private uh, national protect areas in the Sakitin Bay. Uh, to the south of the state, and they work with the this uh, protect area in Ensenada Bay here here in the in the sea in the and in, in Ensenada and and they do a lot of monitoring, peers monitoring, and a lot of stuff they do it, and they help us with these programs like like the one we we're working with Chris. Uh, they help us with the with with the money for the food and and a lot of stuff. For some equipment. Nice. So you have to rely on a lot of nonprofit uh, organizations and NGOs to get the work that needs to be done done. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. We. we it's kind of my job. Uh, uh, also, the, I have to clean some bathrooms there, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to find some NGOs that are interested to to work with us. No. And Terra is working with us and working with some private 
people in San Quintín, like the big uh, agriculture uh, empresses, you know, <laughs> and and they they donate a lot of money for us, no, for the fire equipment and <clears throat> for clouds, I think so. Yeah, for the Nomex uh, teachers, you know, all the fire protection, the PPE. Yeah, PPE. Yeah, yeah. And and we have to to work with pe- people like Chris. No, I have. <laughs> I, I, let me let me tell you something. When I I worked here from 2012, and in 2016, uh, I have a por- an opportunity, and I went to this uh, uh, International Ranger Congress in Colorado, and the the commission sent me to to the congress. And I know I knew a, a lot of people there, no? and I'm still in touch with these people. So we make a lot of uh, working together with some rangers from uh, international national parks like Galapagos National Park, and we still in communication with those guys. And and that's like my job here in the national park also, and and meet. Some people like Chris, no, it's really, I feel really fortunate. I just yesterday talked with Chris about that because I am the only person to speak this kind of English, you know, and, <laughs> and I, and, and Chris come to the national park and I meet him there. So, and we start to do this training process for the firefighters here in San Pedro Martir. And the last year, we do the training again. It's the second time. And we have a lot of people from the Baja California State really interested because they hear in the, the uh, they hear about the training in 2019 and they are really interested to go there. Nice. So we have a lot of people involved right now. So one question for uh, you two uh, is how is coronavirus affecting this? I mean... Is that kind of putting a a wrench in the gears as far as getting assistance down there uh, during the off season for us? Uh, You're talking about like with the, um, the training and stuff. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at that. Um, You know, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this when we talk more about the training, but like, you know, it was a real, like Felipe and I had had many, you know, long phone conversations, you know, talking about the ethics of, of holding courses and, you know, and doing work down there in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it was a tough decision. Um, but, um, I think we made the best decision we could with what we had in front of us, seeing the benefit of what we could do there. And the fact that, you know, the entire course was outside and there was this like perfect opportunity where the people from different organizations that attended the training, they could be completely isolated from each other. And so we, you know, broke up into different into small groups and, um, we continued on, you know, and we provided this really awesome opportunity to folks that wouldn't necessarily otherwise get it. Um, and I feel like we did it as responsibly as we could. And, you know, just because there's a pandemic and I take the pandemic super seriously, you know, like I I'm, I'm trying my best to do my part. I mean, you know, my mom is, is in the 
at risk category and um uh and felipe's mom actually passed away from uh from covid and so yeah and you know like so we don't take it we don't take it lightly um but we also realize like the nature of our jobs like just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean that you know fires fire season takes a break um and so the work that we're trying to do the training that we're trying to give folks like this is stuff that could um help them you know be a lot more safe in the work that they're that they're doing and be the difference between someone coming home at the end of the shift or not. So, or at least that's the way I see it. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the only way, but that's, that's the the cost benefit analysis that we went through. And I still don't know whether it was the right decision, but you know, it's like every day on the fire line, we got to make the best decision that we can with the information we have in front of it. And we have to keep moving forward and, and trying to do good things in the world. And that's all you can do. Right. Yeah. Well, there's no such thing as a, a zero risk scenario. I mean, you can step off the curb and get hit by a bus. So you got to make do with what you've got, even in the light of a, a shitty situation. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So speaking of the fire program, the, um, the training now you, now Chris and Felipe, you guys hooked up to do a huge amount of training down there. Now, how does that work? Like, what do you guys do? What do you guys, tell me all about this. I'm excited to hear about it because this is like something that you don't hear of too often. Yeah, totally. Um, Felipe, maybe I'll, I'll take a stab from, from my perspective and then you can kind of like give your, your take on it. Cause I feel like that's kind of like the cool part about having both on here is, uh, we have two different perspectives coming from different sides of the border. So, um, but yeah, uh, so, you know, kind of going back to that initial meeting with Felipe and I, um, at the park, you know, he, after we stumbled back into the, um, park headquarters from our misadventures, um, trying to find Picacho, um, and, and connected back with Felipe, he, you know, showed us their, their fire cash and, um, you know, showed us some of the tools and, and then, you know, we talked about some of the challenges that the park faced and, um, they just don't have access to the type of training that we have up here in the U S you know, like you talk to like a firefighter in, in the U S you know, any given year. And they're like, Oh man, I got to take this you know, S class, this training class kind of complain about go, it. Yeah, exactly. Cause we're just like, you know, it's like training is, you know, at every step of the way, there's, there's something, some class you got to take some hoop you got to jump through to get a qualification or whatever. Um, and they just don't really have that system in place down in Mexico. And it's not because they don't have the capability or, because, you know, they're not, they're not a professional workforce. It's just that their program hasn't developed and hasn't made a hundred years of, (laughs) of management mistakes to learn the lessons that we've learned up here. Um, and so, you know, looking around the park, like first thing you notice when you get to the reception area is 
you know, Felipe talked about those, those species of pine trees and the firs up there. Um, and I think it's important to frame it. Like these aren't just pine trees and fir trees. These are like, we're talking old growth, never been logged ever. Um, yeah, he was saying trees. that they shut down the logging in the, in the forties, right? Felipe. Yeah. They, they, they like, like they is really wilder and, and there's no any work about the, the trees, you know, and there's stand the trees there, uh, by besides the caverns in the reception. And that's why, what, uh, Chris noticed when, when he went to the park and, and he talked about that. Yeah, exactly. You know, like we, from coming from the U S like, you know, every national park or, you know, campground you go into like hazard tree mitigation, like, you know, it's just like a thing in some ways it's, it's almost like an overkill. It's like, you know, let's eliminate every single hazard that may or may not exist to humans. Um, and you know, for, for better or for worse, but anyway, I get to the park and like, there's just these massive, you know, I think like the biggest tree that we, uh, measured on this last course for those familiar with tree measurement, it was like in the upper sixties for a DBH. So like, yeah, 68 inch DBH tree. Um, so big trees down there. And, you know, not only did, as Felipe said, they like established the park to prevent logging, but there was never logging. Like that forest has never been cut. Um, and so it's an amazing gift, but there's also from a recreation standpoint and from a park infrastructure standpoint, like the, there's just these nasty snags, you know, hanging over buildings, hanging over campsites, like Felipe was saying. And so that kind of sparked our initial idea of like, well, you know, I, I'm always trying to like figure out ways of making it a bigger impact through the work that we do. So you know, we could have just been like, yeah, bro, we'll come down and like cut all these monster hogs for you. Um, but you know, Felipe is kind of a cerebral dude as well. And, uh, we put our, our brains together and we're like, man, no, this is a great opportunity not to just, you know, have a, a hog slaying fest, but instead we can use this as, um, a training opportunity and, you know, give, give the park rangers, give the, the brigade, um, a chance to like take ownership. Like this is their ground, you know, this is their, their national treasure. And, um, so to give them the skills to be able to mitigate these hazards on their own and, and integrate, you know, chainsaw use more into their, their firefighting. And that's what this whole course is based off of is essentially for those out there who have taken um, the S212 wildland fire chainsaw course, that's kind of like the basic chainsaw course in wildland firefighting here in the U S. So we essentially took the nuts and bolts of that course and expanded it out over a week period and then included a, like a more holistic approach. Um, everything from felling these huge hazard trees to, um, doing a little direct attack scenario where we flagged out, you know, a little half acre fire in the, in the chaparral and suffered through that. 
Um, <laughs> it was like a double overhead chaparral. Oh yeah, totally, dude. We're talking oh. old growth. So, yeah, manzanita. Just I still have some scars on my arms from flagging out that fire. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace the suck, right? <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then the last portion of the course. So so yeah. So we did the hazard tree. We did basic chainsaw operations. We did direct attack. We did a whole section on mechanics, um, troubleshooting saws so that, you know, these guys are miles away from, well, miles, hours and hours, you know, Ensenada is what Felipe, a three hour drive. Almost four hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a problem with your chainsaw, if you want to take it to a shop, you got to drive four hours to the one steel dealership in the only one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, teaching these guys how to be, you know, self-sufficient with, um, taking care of their saws and they're running their fleet. And then the last portion, which maybe I'll let Felipe talk about the final day of the training was, um, or I guess the second to last was, uh, prepping for their prescribed fire in the park. Um, so we taught them kind of like indirect tactics. Um, yeah. Do you want to take a stab at that Felipe? What's going on with the prescribed fire? Yeah. It's, uh, all this, this stuff for us is really, really new because we have this, uh, managed plan in the national park and they writing, I think so in 2009, and the fire management, a part of this management plant is the fire management plant also. So uh, the fire management plant included in 2019, I think so, is really brand new for the park. And there is the first uh, fire management plant. And, and the, the University of California uh, worked with us to, to write this 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 uh, manage, uh, fire management plan with uh, this PH um, uh, Iran, Hiram, you say no? <laughs> <laughs> this professor uh, helped us with to write that, that. and he worked with uh, Hugh Sanford from the Davis University, California, I think. So. UC Davis. Uh, UC Davis, and 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 they write the. Uh, the fire management plan for the San Pedro Martir and and Sierra Juarez is another national park in the state. is is also a, a pine forest and it's really similar. And they work with the with the fire management plan and we starting to do the the field work right now. And we we use the the grease training to start to make in the the uh, to prepare the area there in the National Park. And it's like this this uh, area the Hugh Sanford already worked with and he make a lot of measurements there and a lot of monitoring of fuels and do a lot of stuff there. And we have a lot of data from there, like I think so like more than 10 years of data and and we're gonna make a lot of work up around this this uh, prescribed burn. We hope that we we start with the burning. Uh, we hope this year to the end of this year, the, the next winter, uh, 
and uh, it's going to be the first prescribed burn in the national park in San Pedro Marte National Park. So this is kind of like a historic event for uh, your area, right? This has never been done before. You guys are doing your first prescribed fire on the national park. Yeah, it's the first one, it's historic one, and because all the fires there is really natural in the in the forest, really natural. Because in the in the summer we have a lot of uh, lightning storm, and the lightning uh, burn the they hit the trees, and we have some some fire from there. And around the national park, we have these uh, fires, but the people make this fire. You know, it's like a, we talk with we curious about that because it's uh, like a cultural thing. Uh, the people from the ranches they they say they they gonna burn the the ground there because they need new grass for the next year, you know, for the cattle. Yeah, a little and agricultural like, burn. Yeah, uh-huh. and but they don't do it like kind of control burning. You know, they only start to burn the. The, the Sierra there. So <laughs> they, they just the kind of let it go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let, let's see what happens. That happens more <laughs> often than not over here as well. It's like some people, I mean, it's unfortunate, but some people like burn on a windy day and you know, the average citizen just doesn't know fire behavior like we do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Oh, I was just going to say like, just to put that in perspective though, like, you know, here in the U S right. If you go, and you start a fire just out of, you know, whatever, like there's going to be, you know, a call into dispatch and then there's going to be a fire investigator and there's going to be this whole deal. And like, you know, it is like a big no, no. Right. And there's huge litigation that happens, but man, it just really struck me when I was down there, like just how different the culture is of like, you'll just be driving down the side of the road and there's just like, you know, a hillside is just burned off because someone decided that they were just gonna, you know, light, light this hillside on fire so that they could grow their nopales or whatever. Um, so there's just not like the, I don't know, would you say Felipe, like the enforcement down there or the, the ethic, like we have Smokey the bear campaign up here. Yeah, we, we have it here, but it's not as strong like the Smokey bear now because I, I saw the, the commercial of Smokey Bear since I was a child. No? But uh, we have this uh, a squirrel here. <laughs> a squirrel? <laughs> it's not that intimidating. Yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> how's the name? Savi. Savi the squirrel. Yeah. Sally the squirrel? <laughs> it's really funny. And the, and the squirrel has this uh, firefighting uh, uh, equipment, the, the helmet and everything. <laughs> and and in the this uh, the, that's the federal administration no, with the squirrel, and in the state administration we have the MAPI is a raccoon. Okay, yeah. So it's yeah, you guys have a prevention program. Just it's kind of like ours with the outreach as far as like you know winning hearts and minds with Smoky Bear. You have the squirrel and mm-hmm. and uh, a raccoon. So similar, yeah. <laughs> a lot of similarities there. Yeah, and but uh, it's not like a about the the law the, the people who who work like a investigators or i don't know uh, we don't have that uh, much people working there in the environmental uh, departments you know uh, we have profepa is like the police of the environment and we don't have enough people here in the state 
So there's not a lot of enforcement opportunities to, you know, even follow through on half of these things. Yeah. And I think is is they have a lot of problem and they don't have a lot of support from the federal government and their really small uh, office here in Ensenada. And is a uh, um, Ensenada is just one part of, of, of the state of California. And the administration of Ensenada is really big because it's starting in the city and goes down to the limit with the another state of California Sur. There's a lot of, of, of land they have to be monitoring, but we don't have the people to to check if the somebody gonna burn there or somebody cut some trees there or or, hunt or do some poaching, you know. Yeah, I see. There's also some uh, some laws about cutting down trees here in our show notes as well. Like, could you explain that as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to to do the training. We have to to not notify us to Semarnat. It's like the Fish and Wildlife Service here in Mexico, uh, and uh, we have to notice to the Semarnat make like a, a inform, and we learned because. Because it's the first time that we make that stuff for the national park, so we start to study this this uh, procedure. And, and my friend Ives, he worked with me, and he start to see the laws and the LEGEPA is the environmental law here, and he checked the, all the laws. And because all the trees uh, are in the San Pedro Martir are, are in this list, they are protected here in Mexico in like uh, endangered species because they're only in San Pedro Martin and, and Parque Nacional Constitución here in the state. So they have to check it and you have, if you're going to cut a dead tree, you have a, you have to make a, have a permission from the Smarnat because this is a protected species, you know, and you have to say if you're going to use the, the, the wood that you're going to cut or they, you're only going to if you're going to burn, you're going to say anything that you're going to do with the, with the tree. And and the last word, that we have the last word because we are the administration of the National Park, but we have to say to, to the, the, we're going to make these uh, jobs there to Semarnat, to Conafor, and to Profet, like two institutions there because they, one is the one that administrate the the national protected areas. The other one is because the the, the, the fire management, and the other one is like the police. I guess so we have to, yeah, and there's a lot of work. I'm training work to do here in the office. So it seems like you have a lot of the same bureaucratic nightmares that uh, a lot of us over here <laughs> in the United States have as well. I mean, especially when you have to, you know, you have to do all this prep work and you have to do all these planning, uh, all this planning for pres- your prescribed fire program, which is brand new. That's, yeah, that's got to be pretty difficult, especially when it's a moving target and you're just now kind of like implementing a, a program to figure all this stuff out. Yeah, and another thing that we added to this, all this bureaucratic and the field job, uh, is that we have the a National Obser- uh, Astronomic Observatory there. It's the top three in the world. So if you, we're going to burn, it's going to be hard for the astronomers. We work together with the University of Mexico also 
that they only straight the observatory. So you have to coordinate with the observatory as well to make sure you're not clouding or uh, smoking up their view of the sky. Yeah, yeah. Sounds real similar to what we've got going on here in the United States. It's same. It's like the same problems. I mean, it's not like wildfires specific, you know, and unique to United States. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really similar, but we don't have that much money like the U.S. <laughs> and that's where Chris comes in too, as well. So I mean, coming down yeah. there and you know doing all this program, uh, this uh, training programs, and. So one question I had for you, Chris, is uh, what's that like with the language barrier? I understand you don't speak Spanish very well, or do you speak a little broken? I mean, where are you at on the, the language barrier? Um, well, let me just say I'm practicing every day. Uh, Felipe bears I see Felipe with... Felipe shaking his head. is like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Felipe is very patient with my... I, I made, we made a rule that like when I te- send him a text message, it, it has to be in Spanish. So I'm just like struggling through it. And, you know, I've been doing like self-study courses and, and uh, you know, trying to get, trying to get better at it. Cause it's something that I really want to, um, you know, I, w- I want to be eventually fluent in Spanish so that, I don't know, it's just, you know, when you go to another country and when you work with another culture. I feel like for me, it's like a sign of respect to be able to, you know, understand that culture and to speak their language. And, um, if I want to continue with my work down there, that's, you know, really important for me is to be able to, um, communicate with everyone and not just rely on, you know, everyone bowing to our needs and like, you know, learning English or what, you know, speaking English. So, um, but you know, through the course I've been super lucky, um, you know, so, so I guess to speak briefly on that, like the staff, the people that we have as instructors on this course, um, mostly they're folks that I've worked with on different hotshot crews, um, you know, over the last 10 years, but, um, a few of them are, are fluent in Spanish. Um, so, uh, Will, Will Hoff, he was our main interpreter for the first course. Um, and then my brother, actually Greg Ives, um, he's not in fire, but he's worked with a lot of, um, natural resource conservation work in, in Spanish speaking countries. Um, so he speaks fluent Spanish and, um, we had uh Calvin join us this past year. He he's fluent in Spanish as well. Um so we have these, you know, bilingual um instructors that have been a huge help in, you know, interpreting. And I'm talking like when I teach the lesson on uh chainsaw mechanics, you know, I'm I'm a huge nerd, so I go into like atmospheric pressure and uh, Venturi principle. And, you know, I look over at Will and he's just like shaking my head, shaking his head. Like, really, you're going to make me, <laughs> you're going to make me explain Venturi principle in Spanish. <laughs> um, Pop quiz so, hotshot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that was definitely a learning experience. Um, and, you know, even to the, to the point of having to come up with our own terminology, like some of the stuff that we were teaching just doesn't, there's not words for it in Spanish. So like introducing the concept of Sawyer and Swamper. So 
Felipe, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but um, so Sawyer is acerrador. Acerrador. Yeah, acerrador, and um, and so, but in in Spanish, there's not really, you know, yeah, yeah, there's not really a translation for swamper. Um, so, so we kind of like thought about it and Will came up with this idea, like Will's very poetic. So he's like, all right, well, you know, the Sawyer, that's kind of like a knight, you know? So the Sawyer, you know, carries around his sword or, you know, he's using his sword. So in, you know, who, who carries the knight's sword for that, for him? And, and Will's like, oh, okay. So that's the, um, the squire. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> so we came up with using the word uh, escudero, which means squire, as the the term for uh, swamper. Yeah. So we mentioned the, the the Quixote, no, the Sancho Panza and Don Quixote. The, the oh Quixote yes, from Cervantes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Don yeah uh, Don Juan, right? Or no Don Quixote. Sancho Panza is the, the, the square. Yeah. Yeah. And the escudero. Yep. So it's like, yeah, kind of just making it, uh, I guess, yeah, just coming up with a common terminology, which is critical for communications, you know, it's having that common language. Oh, yeah. And I was was talking with uh, Juan Ramon Cruz, he's he's a guy from the fire department of the CONAFOR, and they make the translation for the the official translation for the fire uh, administration. And he tell me the the like the swamper is like ayudante de de acerrador. It's really long in Spanish, you know? and and I <laughs> say to him that no, it's still like escudero <laughs> because it's short. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. awesome! No, that's good. That's good apta- adaptation, man. That's uh, makes it easy. But uh, yeah. yeah. So speaking of fire crews, how does that work down there? You said you had only a total of 14 people as far as rangers go on the entire uh, forest, right? So mm, yeah, like in like 40, 15 oh, 40 each year 50. in the summer. Oh, the uh-huh. seasonals. Yeah, that's right. Not, uh, 14, sorry. 14 or 15, yeah. Oh, 14 and, or 15. Yeah, and each, each uh, uh, ship of rangers has like seven. They did by... The, all the group and and there's like last year we have just just a small fires inside of the forest but in 2018 we have a big fire to the southern national park and it was like almost 4,000 hectares there we have a lot of help from the military people and and people from CONAFOR and we have like I think like 15, 50 people working in that fire in 2019. Okay. So it's, it's kind of like an interagency agreement where you uh, get other people, other agencies to come in and help and assist with the, or the military, which we do often as well. Yeah. Actually in, in Mexico, if uh, like natural disasters occur here in the country, we have this law, they say is, is a plan, plan D and three is a national disaster. You know? And when that happens, when it's really, really big, like that fire in 2018, they send the military to help. And sometimes if uh, hurricane hits in the South, they, they activate this D and three plan 
and and send the militaries to help in the hurricane. It's, it's a really, really nice uh, plan there. Yeah, it's a, like a mutual aid almost with the military. No, that's cool though. Um, there's a lot of I'm just kind of fascinated by all the similarities that there is between the way Mexico does it and we do it. It's like practically the same way, just a little bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. And if I could, if I could add, like, you know, I mean, that's yeah. Like, there is a there is a lot of similarities, but I think like the thing to keep in mind is just yeah, is the scale issue. So like, okay, so you have seven people who are responsible, you're like, okay, a seven person hand crew. All right. So they're responsible for, I think it would be 150, about 150,000 acres. Is that right? The uh, conversion. The, the national park is seven, 73,000 hectares. Yeah. Which is, I think I'm not good at the conversion, but I think that's about 150,000 acres, um, for folks in the U S. Um, so imagine seven people being responsible for, uh, 150,000 acre area. And, and, but remember that's not just fire suppression. That's everything. That's like roads, trails, you know, improvement. That's like Felipe was saying, cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning the, you know, the, the cabins, um, you know, checking in visitors, um, you, you know, taking out the trash, like, uh, security, like there's not like a law enforcement officer who rolls around the park, busting people for, you know, poaching or for, um, cutting stuff that shouldn't be cut or for having illegal campfires. These seven people are doing everything. Holy shit. Um, yeah. So, you know, at the face, it seems like, oh, that's not bad. You know, like they have a similar system to us, but it's just, you know, like the funding is, is not there. And like, you know, that's part of the reason that this work is super important to, to us is like, you know, I feel like we take it for granted here in the U S that we have, like, you know, I can get to a fire as a, as an, initial attack I see and I just order the world, but there it's like, you know, it's not like he's getting there. Felipe's getting to a fire and ordering like five type one helicopters. Um, because you know, that's not, that's not going to show up. You know, it takes a emergency order to get the military there with their helicopter, but otherwise, you know, I was sitting, I guess it was 2019 sitting in Ensenada one day when the, the Santa Ana winds picked up, um, or as they call them down there, the Santana winds. Um, so, or, so I started calling them the, the Carlos Santana winds, (laughs) 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 um, but picked up and you're just sitting, you know, I'm sitting there in Ensenada in a coffee shop and I'm looking at the Hills around town and there's like five or six fires that just pop off and they're like ripping through neighborhoods, just burning up houses. And there was one, one type one helicopter, I think it was running bucket drops on, you know, five or six fires that are, you know, a hundred, 500 acres and, and growing, just burning, burning through neighborhoods. Um, so it's a different world there. You know, it's like, it's important not to forget that, that like, even though the systems are in place and these guys are like 
putting in an incredible amount of work. Like it's just, they don't have the resources that we have here. And so they're, as a result, they're forced to do a lot more with less, you know? I mean, these guys, like I get to the park and they're like, you know, rebuilding their own trucks and, um, you know, fixing tools that, that we would have thrown away, like, you know, 10 years ago. And they're, they're being incredibly resourceful because they have to be, you know? And I think that's worth noting and worth, you know, bringing to light that these guys do an amazing amount with so little. Yeah. That's one thing that we always take for granted here. Um, I, I think, I mean, if a vehicle breaks, you just take it to the shop. Okay. No big deal. Tool breaks. Okay. We'll go, go trade it in at supply. It, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things we do take for granted over here. We're very fortunate in that aspect, but there's a lot of other countries. It's not just exclusive to Mexico too. I mean, even places like South Africa are dealing with stuff like that, or, you know, I mean, Chile, I know that they have a small fire program as well and they have to do the same stuff, man. They have to be extraordinarily resource, uh, resourceful as well. Yeah. And when I went to the Ranger Congress there in Colorado, I talked with a lot of Rangers and uh, from all the world, some people from Africa, Australia, and they have the same problems, the same, same problems in each national park or national protected area. They have the problem that they have the support for the vehicle. They don't have the support for, I don't know, for tools for firefighting or, but there are some, some, we saw some countries, big countries like Australia, they have a really good, uh, fire management, uh, crew there and also the U S and, and Actually, we have some donation from Australia, some equipment in that national congress, the international congress, and and but we we saw I, I saw that the, there's the, the same problems no matter if what what the country was. Yeah, and that's the thing yeah. too is like you guys. I mean, is there like a program for uh, exchanging tools and goods and you know bringing equipment down there? I mean, is there anything nationally or internationally set up as far as co- like assisting each other? Mm, yeah, from the Conafor, they have we have a lot of donation from the Conafor. They give 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 us the the hand tools like the Pulaski's and the McLeod's and the, and the back some packs. And, but that never going to be enough no? because we always, uh, lost the, the hand tools there in the fires. No, things and, break. Yeah. And from where the chainsaws we have, uh, like, I don't only, I remember only one uh, donation in 2012 and we, they donate like two two chainsaws. We have like six or seven right now in the national park. And, and, uh, but they, they, they make this donation in 2012. I remember the, uh, uh, truck, a pickup and, uh, and this, uh, they call uh, John Deere Gator. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's the only donation and we still in 2000, almost 10 years ago, and we still with the same trucks, you know, and, oh, wow. and we have to fix it and to do all the mechanics there in the park. And if it's uh, something more difficult to to fix, 
we bring into town to, to Ensenada uh, with a, me- a mechanic, no, a, a, a shop there, an auto shop. I got you. And now, Chris, now when you go down there, you try and bring a bunch of uh, equipment down there with you, right? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, because, okay, you know, I don't know if <laughs> Felipe is very diplomatic, you know, and he's, he's like, oh yeah, we have six or seven chainsaws and we have a truck and uh, a gator. But yeah, like he, like he was saying, like the stuff is like 10 years old and like, you know, those of those chainsaws they're like all it's like a hodgepodge and there's like one for those familiar with types of chainsaws there's like one 660 and all of the rest of the saws are like you know that's a professional series saw like we would use on fire here in the u.s and all of the other ones are like tiny you know yeah yeah, exactly. And uh, Fisher, Fisher Price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fisher Price chainsaw. Exactly. Yeah. So like they, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, you know, it's not, it's not the tools that you, you need when you're trying to do things like, you know, implement a prescribed fire and, you know, fight fire in such a huge area. Like they just don't have the tools or the equipment. And, you know, Felipe said they have Nomex, but, you know, they have like Nomex shirts and, but they wear jeans, um, (laughs) you know, and like, so, you know, they're super fortunate to get, to get some stuff, but there's a lot of, um, things that in my mind, like material that would really help take care of the people, you know, and like keep them safe. Um, and, uh, I won't go too much on a tangent, but like, you also got to remember like Felipe might be too modest to, to mention, but like these guys, it's not like federal land management here in the U S um, like, you know, I have retirement, I have something basic like workman's comp, but guess what? The Rangers, they don't have that. So when someone gets hurt on the job, like they have to, pull some strings and like figure out a way to help them out. They pass around the collection plate. I mean, a great example is like after the course this year, we're hanging out at Felipe's house in Ensenada, you know, Felipe cooked up some of his famous fish tacos and uh, we're sitting there hanging out, eating fish tacos and there's a knock at the door and um, it's a nurse And so one of the other folks that was hanging out with us, my friend Aurora, who she's the first woman um, to be on the, on the brigade in the park. Um, And she was unfortunately hurt um, in the course of her duties. She, she had a compound fracture in her arm. Oh, wow. Ouch. And so, so this nurse was showing up, you know, at like (laughs) eight 30 at night to like, dress her wound um because you know they worked out a deal they had some you know a friend in the hospital who could help um you know for 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 cheap to like take care of her wounds um yeah, because she's uh my girlfriend cousin and she charged really really cheap for us yeah so that's like a you know a, a great example like i mean we take these things for granted like 
you know, you had Luke Mayfield on an episode uh, a while ago who he was my old saw boss on Silver City. Um, but Luke talked about, you know, some of the struggles that we face as firefighters here in the U.S. with being compensated for our work. But, you know, and I hope that things improve here in the U.S. But, you know, in, in, as we're working to that to that same um, goal here in the U.S., like these guys don't even have the basic things that people should should have, in my opinion, you know, when fighting fire, like if you get hurt, that the government's going to take care of you. Or once you retire, that you have an income. Um, and I don't know, like Felipe, a great example. Do you want to, do you want to talk about your, <laughs> your Batman <Yeah>. job? <laughs> yeah. Right now we, we are uh, making the new contract for this year. So we don't get paid right now. We hope we can pay to the last days of February or March. And, and I just want to emphasize that, like, everyone should hear that. Like, so Felipe is not getting paid right now, but yeah. he's still doing his job because he cares about it. And he's hoping that he's going to get a paycheck. Oh, Sorry wow. to hear. You're pretty much volunteering right now. Yeah, right now. And, and so I don't have income right now. And uh, uh, we don't have uh, medical insurance. and and retirement plans, we don't have it. And right now, sometimes in the weekends, I have to work in the taco place here. <laughs> <laughs> and and my girlfriend and I make some bakery. So we sell some um, cakes or cupcakes or everything. And it's, sometimes it's hard, but it's, it's really fun for us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard for, for the the guys there in the National Park. Uh, right now, I work more here in the office, but sometimes it's, it's hard to be there in the snow and to attempt to rescue some people from the snow. And then, then thinking that in your family, like 200 kilometers from kilometer from, from the National Park, and when you are going to home, you don't have the money to take your family for eating some tacos or I don't know. I think in that all the time. I don't know how the, I don't have, uh, I only live with my girlfriend, but some guys here get, are married and they have uh, sons and daughters and I don't know how they make that stuff. Uh, it's really, really hard. Oh, wow. I didn't see, I didn't know that. That's, yeah, that was a, a gross assumption on my part that, you know, these are, you know, you weren't volunteering for some of these positions. So that's, yeah, I, did, I yeah, had no and, idea. Yeah. And so something that I learned in, in when I went into the U.S. In the, in the Rangers Congress, I learned the, in the U.S. in the, in the National Park. I saw it in Gratito National Park in Wyoming. Uh, the, when in the U.S. you say volunteer, but they get paid and here in mexico if you say volunteer there's no money there's only like a, a place where you can stay and a place to eat there in the national park there is no money involved oh wow so i mean is there any like uh talk about upping this program and funding it better so we could provide for these firefighters uh 
we working in the in a foundation right now, the San Pedro Martin Foundation, but is we still in the, in paper only. But we we got a lot of help uh, with Terra Peninsula, the NGO, and and some money that we get uh, we pass through Terra, and they they pay us sometimes. That's that's. We have the support, a lot of support from Terra. Are there any other organizations besides uh, Terra? Um, sometimes we work with, uh, but ma- mainly the, with Terra is, I think, so because the other ones, the other, the other ones were were only like little jobs, short jobs, you know. And but with Terra, we work with the. The last year they contract us in this time because uh, they always in each year in January, in February, we don't get paid because the change of the money administrated here in the government, they cut at the end of the year and start again, and the bureaucratic things. And they contract, contract us from February, they pay this month. We don't get paid in the government, and, and they they help us with that. So, so, Chris, now did you happen to? Uh, I, there was some talk between you and I about another foundation, another organization that you are trying to get a hold of. Is if, I mean, is there any other out there that have been expressing any interest in helping these folks out? Yeah, absolutely. So, like you know, I'll kind of let me start from the bottom with this, but um, so. You know, that stuff that, that Felipe brought up, like that's, that's real, like that's real world problems. Right. You know, like, um, and so, you know, I'm fortunate, like as a permanent seasonal employee here in the U S you know, I can go down in my off season and I can work down there. Um, you know, I could also just hang out on the beach, but like after meeting folks like Felipe and, um, the other folks at the park, like, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for, for us to like give back, you know, because relatively, even though things need to be better here in the U S as well, but relatively like we have this opportunity to give back and, and, um, you know, share our time, share our skills, share like this excess equipment. Like how many times have you been on a crew where there's an item that's like, you know, gently used, but it's time for something new, you know, and so you get all this new stuff and then all of a sudden there's these, you know, uh, there's stuff that's still usable. So, um, you know, we're really fortunate. We had, uh, several conservation corps, um, Arizona conservation corps, uh, Southwest conservation corps, American conservation experience. You know, I, I came up through the conservation worlds or conservation core world. So I still had contacts with them. Um, so those folks, they all donated, you know, materials that were still, still good, um, still usable. Um, and so they donated a lot of stuff to the brigade down there to help them. And then, uh, uh, bear jaw interagency, um, fire and fuels crew out of, out, out of, uh, Flagstaff, um, with Highlands fire district, they donated some stuff. Um, and then, you know, to circle back to Luke Mayfield, um, uh, 
you know, man, he, he really went to bat and, uh, he actually got brand new mystery ranch packs, um, for every member, you know, he, he worked with mystery ranch to get a brand new pack for every member of the brigade, um, down in San Pedro Martir. That's, so um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like, I mean, I love going down there and it's inspiring for, for me and for the other hotshots that come down with me. Um, and we learn a lot from the folks at the park and the least that we can do is, you know, use, use the access that we have to equipment and gear to help the, you know, help the, the Rangers out, help the brigade out. Um, so, you know, that's where we started. And so now we have, you know, this cadre of instructors of hotshots for, from across the Western U S. So, you know, these folks are all volunteers. We have folks from silver city hotshots from San Juan hotshots, my crew, uh, Flagstaff, Mormon Lake, Carson, Idaho city, Bitterroot, Feather river, um, you know, a, a wide range of folks. And we come together essentially as our own little crew, um, our own little crew of instructors to put on this course the last two years. And, um, you know, we're doing this on our own much in, in a lot of ways, you know, like Felipe and the park staff, like we're just relying, you know, we don't have an organization yet. We don't have, um, workman's comp. We don't have, you know, we're just relying on our own personal insurance. Um, and we don't have a way to accept monetary donations. Um, so right now, you know, we're at a crossroads where I've been reaching out to programs. Um, I actually have a meeting this afternoon, a virtual meeting with conservation legacy, um, which is kind of like the parent organization for Southwest conservation Corps and, um, Arizona conservation Corps to talk about maybe some opportunities for partnering with them, or if they have leads for other organizations that might be willing to like take us on as a, um, as a program element within their nonprofit organization. Um, I also reached out to the nature conservancy, um, had a promising conversation with them a year ago, but I know with COVID, it seems like those guys have been busy, um, but hoping that I'll hear back from them at some point. Um, and you know, for, for listeners out there, if you know of other nonprofit organizations that currently do work internationally that currently have agreements in place, um, you know, that we could be a part of, um, you know, I'm not ready to leave my job as a, as a squad leader here with the forest service yet at least. Um, and so we're all doing this volunteer and, and we're not ready to, to start our own nonprofit. So if we could still do this work and still, you know, work with folks with like Felipe and expand our programming in Mexico and offer this training, um, but do it within the context of, a another existing nonprofit. Um, I think we could really make some some amazing impact with this work. Oh yeah. And I'm sure there's uh, tons of people that are somewhat loosely or if not entirely organized or uh, affiliated with those organizations like the nature conservancy. If they're listening, 
I'll definitely put some links in the show notes and all your contact information in there. Cause that's, that's a big program and these folks need that assistance, man. And as far as, uh, additional bodies to go down there and, and, uh, help, are you still recruiting people to go down there and start training? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, we have a, a pretty organized, um, instructor cadre right now. Um, you know, these dedicated folks, um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're calling ourselves now the, the, the San Pedro Martir hotshots. Um, you know, we kind of made our own, uh, crew in much in the tradition and, you know, Felipe can talk to this a little bit, but I th- think like the ethos of like the hotshot was, has been really important in the training courses that we've put on. Um, just like, you know, especially like the little direct attack exercise where we descended down into the, into the Valley of Sorrows, you know, and, and I always talk about like, you know, when there's a fire and they need someone to do some suffering, uh, they call a hotshot crew, you know, like it's not glorious. It's not better than anyone else's work, but it involves a lot of suffering. And so like, we kind of tried to impart that on these folks, um, of like, you know, firefighting is hard work and it's not glorious. And there's a lot of other, maybe smarter things that you could be doing for more money. But, um, you know, we love it because we love getting our butts kicked and we love, um, sweating and we love suffering with other people. And that makes us stronger as a group. Um, so we try to instill that ethic, um, in the folks that we train. Um, so that's, that's who the San Pedro Martir hotshots are. Um, we're definitely looking for, if there's other folks who are, you know, you don't have to be a hotshot, um, but people who are proficient with teaching fire skills who are, you know, fluent in Spanish, um, we're definitely open, but I think that, um, you know, it's going to take program expansion. Um, you know, if we can expand our programs to a lot of, um, you know, other CONAP units in other parts of Mexico, or, you know, after this last course, we were approached by CONAFOR. Um, they asked us to do training for them. So there's, there's all sorts of, of need now. Um, and so it's just going to take like the organizational structure for us to be able to offer more courses. And if we do get to that point, then yeah, we're going to need a lot more folks to help out. Need a lot more people to go down there and instruct and even do some fuels projects. It sounds like too. Yeah, totally. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, that's gonna, it's gonna take a more formal organizational structure because I can't, you know, do my full-time job and, uh, you know, run more than like two or three courses a year. So that's kind of where we're at now. We're looking for that next step of how to sort of legitimize our program. We've also been talking with the Forest Service International Programs. Um, actually one of my old, uh, core members from, uh, from what's now Arizona Conservation Corps is the director for the Forest Service International Programs in Mexico. And she's been super helpful with like supporting us and then 
her, her name's Rachel Sheridan. And then um, Izzy, Izzy Solis, who's the, I think the fire program manager and, and Jaylene Vera, who actually is based in Durango here as well. Um, they all work for the Forest Service International Programs and they've been super helpful with, you know, kind of giving us guidance and making sure that we're not crossing any boundaries or stepping on any toes. Um, unfortunately, they don't have the funding for us to be able to do our work on the clock um, right now. Um, but, you know, there might be opportunities for doing some of that work officially for the forest service, you know, in the future, maybe in other parts of Mexico where there is funding for that. Um, but yeah, so that's where we are right now. That's well, a hell of a ambitious goal that you have there. And I hope that it takes off, man. Um, and kudos to you guys, man. You guys are doing this on a volunteer basis pretty much. Holy shit, man. That's a tall order to do for free. Kudos to you guys. Well, thanks, man. And, um, you know, I mean, I think we get a lot out of it. And once again, circling back to Luke, like, you know, he mentioned on his interview with you, like, man, I, that gave, that interview gave me, you know, made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Cause I felt like it could have been reaching into my own brain, but that feeling that we, all feel at the end of fire season where we kind of like lose our sense of purpose. Um, like it's amazing how therapeutic it was at the end of this fire season to come together with a bunch of other hotshots who are going through the same, um, kind of withdraw symptoms of losing the season and, and just be able to like talk about what we're all going through and, you know, have that support network and, and be able to like meet new people and hang out in a beautiful place. And, you know, it, it makes for a really nice transition at the end of the season versus going from being gone all the time. to boom, all of a sudden you're back into the real world and you have to pick up the pieces from six months ago and figure out how to move forward. So Makes sense, man. Yeah. Going a hundred miles an hour to practically reverse is pretty difficult. So this might be a good opportunity for, you know, once, once you guys get more opportunities for more bodies, uh, to get in there, uh, to kind of, I guess, move around that, uh, that mental health issue that we all face at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, you know, it was cool to hear Luke talk about that too. Cause you know, when he was my saw boss on, on silver city, I was just like, you know, he, I, I thought he was just like, you know, he put up the wall, you know, the emotional wall of like, you know, I always thought like, Oh, this work doesn't affect him. And so for him to, for, for me to hear him talk so vulnerably, um, was really helpful for me, you know, and I think that sparked a lot of other conversations with me and other folks that I worked with. Um, so hopefully it's something that you start to see more in, you know, the fire service is people being able to like have those honest conversations and then to kind of circle back with that is like, yeah, like we're dealing with this, but all we think about when we think about Mexico is like drug cartels, the border and, you know, like police corruption, but, you have real oh, yeah. life people like, like Felipe 
you know, on the ground who are doing good work, just like we are up here. Um, and they care about what they're doing. Um, but they're not getting taken care of as well as, as we are. So. Well, it's just like that conversation I had with John Norris, um, about the cartel illegal grows here in the States. And that's, you know, that's not everybody in Mexico. I mean, these people are, they're just like you and I, they have, we all have normal lives, like everybody on the zoom meeting right now, we all have normal ass lives and we got to do our things to make ends meet. And, you know, a lot of those opportunities are, you know, I don't know how to really put it into context, but sometimes they're just not there, you know, especially in Mexico. I mean, like Felipe, for instance, you're doing this on a, you're doing your job on a volunteer basis right now. And you don't know when you're going to get paid next, man. And I think that's the things that us as in the United States, as Americans, we take a lot of that shit for granted. And I don't think we should, man. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's 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 hard, and and in some places you can see here in Mexico, the the it's too hard for the people in the little towns uh, where they don't have this this uh, where to take the money. You know? so they don't have jobs. They don't have anything. That that's why that's why the because I don't know maybe the corruption affect the town in the government or whatever and they have to do that thing because they have to to eat they don't have some food for the children so they don't have anything and but they don't have opportunities also and we have some opportunities here and we're trying to do the things the better that we could could do with the things that we have right now and we're still working right now so actually i have a meeting here in this in the next hour to make all the planning for the year to the for these uh, trainings with Chris who, who found uh, some uh, you know donations for the park I have to do a lot of things right now to volunteer and also the guys here they they are in the meeting with me they're working really hard and volunteering right now and we really don't know when we're going to get paid. <laughs> Maybe the next month, I don't know. Yeah, but they and the government have this attitude sometimes. That, but you're going to get paid. So, yeah, but right now, what What can I do? No? <laughs> it's what we say. It's, hard. it's a little hard, but this, uh, I, I always think that you, you can see that we really love our jobs. Uh, because we do it for free and we do it, I think, and it's not in my, in my, in my voice. I, I hear it from the people that they, they go to the park. A lot of, of foreign people, some people from Europe or some people from the U.S., they arrive to the park and they say that it's really beautiful, it's really clean. You can see a lot of signs, uh, good signs that we made there. Uh, uh, you're gonna see the, the the names of the camping grounds made in the world. And we are lo- we work really hard. We we clean all the trash that we found there in the forest, and, and we work really really hard in the field. And we we work really hard here in the office also to to keep the national park. Uh, beautiful as, as 
as right now, Ira. Felipe, that's that's awesome. I'm definitely going to record that quote and put it out as a uh, a little teaser for this episode, man. <laughs> Dude, you guys, thank you. You, yeah, that's that's amazing, man. You guys are really passionate about your work and what you do over there, and it's oftentimes a thankless job. But I just want to say thank you. That's that's awesome, man. It's a yeah. sounds like a beautiful place, and you want to keep it that way. Yeah, yeah, we're trying. We're working on that. It's always a work in progress. That's for sure. Yeah. And that, that's all we can do, right. Is try and just, you know, stave off complacency each day. You got to wake up and, and check yourself and be like, am I, am I sticking to my values? You know, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I still, am I still trying to achieve the goals that I set, set out to, you know? And, um, man, this work has been such education for me. Like I've been so inspired by the work that, you know, and, and just the willingness to learn. And like, you know, when we put on these courses, like, you know, S courses in here in, in the U S people are like falling asleep and oh, I gotta be here, but down there, <laughs> you know, you put on a training course and everyone's just like riveted. So eager to learn, you know, to have this opportunity. Um, so it's super inspiring to see that and definitely makes me, you know, look at my own life and how I respond to things and what I take for granted. Um, so yeah, that's been, it's been an education for me and just trying yeah. to keep, keep learning. I, and do- I remember once that I, I, I talked with Hannah Goldman about mm-hmm. the, the the guys here in the brigade they they know a lot of mechanics you know and when Chris teaches about the the mechanics of the chainsaw the guys already know about the mechanics you know and and Hannah asked me they, they, she tell me the the really surprised about the the guys you know that they they have this um, they, they want the training. They, they had this, you have to feed it, the, the guys, no? the training. And Hannah said me that she never uh, see that on, the, on a group of, of shirts. And, and I explained to her the, the education here in Mexico. The, the basic uh, school education here in Mexico is, is kind of, uh, they teach us some a lot of tools, basic tools like mechanics, like uh, carpenters or like uh, plumbers. So they, they teach us a lot of, of that profession because we are like a cheap, cheap hand uh, men's, you know. I don't know how to say that. Is it, like a, what? Oh, like a handyman? Like jack yeah, of all trades. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of. Uh, uh, here, they, 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 we have to work with the hands. No? We, we have to do a lot of works like that. And if you really want to, to do like a profession, you have to go to the university. But a lot of people, like the guys that I work at the brigade, they, they come from the, the towns near the Sierra. And they only study to the basics. They don't, don't go to the college. And they have to work with the hands, no? And they already know a lot of mechanics and a lot of, a lot of uh, construction things. So they have they, they have this knowledge, 
already. So the Hannah was really surprised about that. Well, the people in the trades though, and like uh, the carpentry, plumbing, all that stuff, they make excellent firefighters because they can usually fix stuff <laughs> on the fly. Yeah. That and ranchers. Ranchers are tough. <laughs> they make some of the best firefighters out there. They, they use the machete uh, besides the, the chainsaw, you know? <laughs> they just cut it yeah. down. Oh, bam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a machete. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this has been an eye-opening episode and an uh, eye-opening conversation as to uh, how business is done in, down there in Mexico. And it's, it was cool to, to experience this, Felipe. I, I definitely appreciate it. And Chris... Dude, you're, you guys are doing amazing work, man. This is cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, you know, if if folks want to help out, like, I think the biggest things right now is, you know, if anyone has has a home for us, that's our, our first goal. But then also, you know, we're looking for donations of supplies. Um, you know, we, I feel like this past time we were able to, um, this past course, we were able to set up the brigade pretty good between the donation from mystery ranch and from all the other organizations, um, that chipped in. But, you know, now as we go forward, um, you know, we're looking for, if we could get our, if we could get more chainsaws, um, not only for the park, but, you know, as we start to work with other park service units in, in Mexico or, um, if we are able to work with Kanafor, um, I think having having tools that we can take down with us to other programs that don't have those, you know, like a, a fleet of working chainsaws and um, wedges and chaps. Chaps are huge, like you know, um, stuff like that. If if anyone has leads on, you know, opportunities for donations of those supplies for us as a you know, organization that we can take around with us to put on these courses, um, at different locations. Um, that's kind of like our biggest need right now. Yeah. And about that, uh, in the name of all the guys here in the, in the national park, uh, we, we want to say thanks. Thanks for all the help. Thanks for all the equipment. Mystery Ranch give us a lot of stuff. Uh, give us the, the, the backpacks. Uh, yesterday just the, the backpacks arrived yesterday nice. and I have it in my car right now yeah <laughs> and and I bring one to the meeting that I already have to go and and thank you very much for all of us thank you to Chris to the guys and and we really appreciate that awesome well I mean if uh, we're, we're getting to the end of the show here so I mean how do we get a hold of you guys for questions <laughs> Um, yeah, for me, if, if, you know, best, best means of contact is probably email. Um, and I guess you'll, you'll probably put it in the show notes. Right. But, oh, yeah. um, but yeah, my, my email is, is pretty straightforward. It's, uh, Christopher dot M dot Ives. And my last name is that Ives that's spelled I is in India, V is in Victor, E is in echo and S is in Sierra. Um, so Christopher.mives.m.ives at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, yeah. And uh, do you have a, any socials, any uh, social media outlets as far as the uh, 
you got you dude you got if you guys don't have one yet do you have one of the San, uh, San Pedro Mar- Martir uh, hotshots page up yet no yeah, we haven't oh, yeah yeah so yeah I was gonna mention yeah Felipe so that they're ahead of us the brigade um you guys have a, a Facebook page right Felipe yeah the National Prayer have a Facebook Facebook page we administrated that also and we make this little little page of the brigade you know the the San Pedro Martyr Brigada Forestal uh, San Pedro Martyr is called and and we put some work we're doing there, some firefighting, some videos there of the trainings also. And we we have to still work. We, we need we need more time to do bad things because I don't spend that much time in the in the Facebook, and I need a little more time to put some videos there. Copy that. Yeah, yeah, and for us, you know, like yeah, I'd like to eventually have a web page, but I'm. I think we're kind of in limbo land right now. You know, we've, I do. And I actually I'll, I'll send it to you if you want to put it up on the show notes or whatever. Um, but we have a prospectus, like a little document that just says who we are, um, as the San Pedro Martyr hotshots, um, and what we do. Um, so that'll help folks, you know, and, and we, uh, you know, we're not just down here just to provide training. Um, but you know, for us, the bigger picture is like, in addition to the the work skills is just like the, you know, it's so easy to hate people that you, you don't know personally, or you can't see, you know what I mean? Like you look at any war, any conflict, it's predicated on like you not having a personal relationship with, with the people on the other side of the wall, you know? And, um, so I think like through this work, like us getting to know the folks at the park and, um, and vice versa, like, you know, we're just, we're trying to really emphasize that regardless of, you know, what political things are going on, like there's still real people on the ground who share common purpose and, work well together, you know? So things like that and like, um, modeling a workforce like this past year, the instructor cadre, there was, um, 11 of us instructors and five of them were women. Um, you know, we're, are, we really want to promote like, you know, um, diversity in, in the workplace. And, and we do that through, you know, through what we model and that, you know, there was, there was women who attended this course, which is a big thing for Mexico. Um, uh, you know, and, um, so we're, we're trying to, we're trying to break boundaries on all sides and trying to force people to think. Um, so hopefully that prospectus and, um, um, I'll also put forward the link to, uh, the forestry seminar that I gave at Northern Arizona university, but that should really help, you know, as a supplement to what you heard on this podcast today of what, what we're all about and and where we want to head. Awesome, man. Like I said, man, thank you guys so much for being on the show. That's uh, definitely some awesome work you're doing and uh, yeah, keep breaking those boundaries, man. That's freaking awesome. I love it. But last but not least, 
at the end of the show, I'd like to give an opportunity for both of you to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. Take it away. Felipe, what do you got? <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's all good. So I give an opportunity for you to give a um, like a thank you or a shout out to a, a hero, a mentor, a friend. Who do you got for us? Okay. Um, yeah. First, uh, I want to thank uh, uh, to my boss is, is Gonzalo. Uh, he he inspires me all the time because he he worked really really hard for the national park. And and he always maybe sometimes Chris don't see him here not when he arrives in Senada, but he's still there always. He always texts me and he's he's there always. And he's like he, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really powerful, but you can see it. <laughs> yeah, but he's uh he's the nicest person there. And he's a friend from the university, you know, he's a biologist also. And, and he's my friend since 20 years ago. And, and I, I really thank all the work he's doing for the National Park. And I want to thank to Chris, you know, for he's a really great program that he built here with us. And, and he always uh, get, uh, get some stuff for us, no? some, everything for us. No? He helped a lot in the past uh, two years with the trainings and the equipment and everything. And it makes the things easier for us. And for the guys there in the, in the brigade and the Rangers, and they're, they work really hard all the time. And I always be thank, thankful with the, with the guys there. Nice, man. Chris, who do you got for us? Um, you know, honestly, like, I mean, there's so many people that have picked me up along the way, you know, uh, dusted me off and kept me going. Um, but you know, right now I think I'm most thankful for the, um, the other instructors, the people that have, you know, just like Felipe was saying, the kind of behind the scenes folks, like, like the brigade folks, um, the other instructors that I work with, like just how much time and effort and they've put in, um, to this work as well, even though I'm the one out here, you know, like giving seminars and, uh, talking on a podcast, like they're doing all the work, um, behind the scenes. Um, so I'll quickly rattle through some names and I hope I don't forget anybody, but, uh, we got, um, Eric Storza, uh, David Dreyer, um, Greg Ives, Will Hoff, Ian Barbosa, Jordan Mady, Hannah Kligman, Hannah Goldman, um, uh, Hannah Olson and, uh, Sam Strain. And oh my God, I hope I'm not missing anybody. Did I mention my brother, Greg? Yeah, I think I did. Um, but yeah, just all those people, um, super amazing folks. Um, I've learned so much from every single one of them. Oh, almost forgot Phil Martinez. Yeah, Phil Martinez. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever seen Born in the Latin, Latin guy that don't speak Spanish, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you ever seen Born in East LA, uh, Phil was actually he was the second uh choice if uh if Cheech Marin wouldn't have taken that role in the movie Born in East LA, Phil Martinez was next up to that. So. Yes, um but yeah, 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 just I don't I'd also like to thank the instructors. Um yeah, both from this year and last year. Uh I'll I'll run through their names real quick. Hopefully I don't forget anybody, but, uh, Morgan Rigney, Olivia Gagliardi, uh, Phil Martinez, David Dreyer, Jordan Mady, um, Hannah Kligman, Calvin Sands, uh, Will Hoff, uh, Hannah Goldman, Hannah Olson, Sam Strain, Eric Storza, Greg Ives, and Ian Barbosa. And then thanks to everybody down in, in Mexico for teaching me so much. Um, and then I guess finally, um, thanks to my uncle, my uncle, John, I didn't really talk about it during the show, but, um, he's kind of been an inspiration for me in terms of my love of Mexican culture and the country. Um, he, he was, he did a lot of work in the 1950s and sixties in community development in Mexico. And, um, and he took me on my early trips um, to Mexico and, and he lived down there for a long time. And yeah, taught me about what it was like to, to really be respectful of other cultures and learn from other people. So nice. Uh, can I say something? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say thank you to my parents. Uh, I don't have Rena with me and because uh, everything that I, I am right now. I'm because of them. Amen, man. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, continue to do some kick-ass work, man. This is pretty fascinating. I've definitely enjoyed the show. And yeah, once again, thank you for being on the show, both of you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Chris, Felipe, we'll see you on the next one. Hopefully we can get you guys back on. Right on. Right on, guys. Take care. See you. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with our good friends, Chris and Felipe. You guys, thank you so much for being on the show and definitely uh, definitely cool to hear the way business is done down there in Mexico. And uh, Chris, definitely thank you for uh, doing the volunteer service of going down there and doing some training and gear donation for the uh, Brigade Forestal San Sierra San Pedro. That is freaking badass. And uh, oh, yeah, Felipe, sorry, dude. My Spanish absolutely sucks. So sorry if I just butchered that. Anyways, if you guys want to find out more about the San Pedro Matir Hotshots, the uh, official, unofficial, unofficial, uh, I don't know where it is. It's kind of like a, uh, it's a volunteer organization as this stands right now. But uh, I'll definitely put those that information in the show notes. So be sure to uh, check that out on our socials and in our show notes here on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you may find this podcast. Oh yeah, it's also on YouTube. So if you want to watch the video version of this, head over to YouTube and check out the Anchor Point Podcast. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got the Ass Movement. Oh yeah, dude, spreading the word about burying your turds. I'm all about it. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the Ass Movement. We also got Manscaped. They make 
the best below the belt trimming devices, grooming essentials that money can buy, and you can save yourself 20% off and get free shipping by using the code AnchorPoint at checkout. We've also got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest packs on this side of the Mississippi. God, I'm having a hard time talking today. And they are starting the Backbone Series and Backbone Series Scholarship. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check that out. We also got Hotshot Brewery kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause and they are slinging that anchor point merch so if you guys want to get some shirts or some any apparel or the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and last but not least we've got bethany's organization the smoky generation so if you guys uh, want to go check that out go over to www.wildfireexperience.org bethany you got a kick-ass organization keep it up and for the rest of you keep your chin up winter's almost over the season is approaching fast, so I hope you guys are re- guys and girls are ready for it. Anyways, we'll catch you on the uh, uh. <laughs> we'll catch you on the next episode. Other than that, stay safe, stay savage, peace. <laughs>